From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. In this episode of Land Stories, we continue our look at Austin Blair, the governor of Michigan during the Civil War, and in particular, taking a continued look at the idea of remembrance as well. And last episode, we talked a bit about this in terms of introducing Austin Blair as the Michigan Civil War governor and doing so by looking at a a rally of sorts, not the kind Austin Blair would have recognized, perhaps, uh, taking place many years ago in a park in Jackson, Michigan, that bears Austin Blair's name, Austin Blair Park. And that rally involved people flying uh, flags of the confederacy the flag that we nowadays oftentimes refer to as a confederate flag there wasn't a single confederate flag in terms of battle colors actually the state flag that would be the national flag of the confederacy did not look like the uh, stars and bars which is the confederate flag most people are referencing when they use that terminology nowadays it looked a little bit like the uh, the texas State flag nowadays. Not quite, but if you're at all familiar with your state flags, uh, that would be one of the closer ones you could look at. Um, Look it up, uh, Google it, and you'll see what I mean. The Stars and Bars, the Confederate flag, as we call it now, uh, is a flag that derives from a couple different places, actually. Uh, One of which are the battle colors that state regiments used uh, throughout the Civil War, and Every state in the Union that fought in the war, every state in the Confederacy that fought in the war, uh, they had battle colors, and regimental colors were a very, very important part of not only the, say, the honor and the chivalry, those more historic aspects that came with fighting in a conflict, but they also had a very uh, commanding use on the battlefield, actually. And there was historical tradition behind that as well but the the battle flags became a very important part of the memory of the civil war and then the remembrance of it for many years uh, afterwards all around the reconstituted united states uh, so that would be the the states of the former confederacy and in the union and so the confederate flag has its source there but also the Confederate flag became the banner of the Ku Klux Klan very early on when the Klan was formed uh, in the wake of the Civil War. And the Klan was formed primarily to suppress uh, through absolute violence up to and including murder if necessary any resurgence of African American rights uh, in the wake of slavery being done away with. And so it was an organization that was founded from the very beginning in sheer violence and terror and murder of black Americans. The Klan was put down during the 1870s and then reformed again many times, and there are versions of the Klan that are still in existence nowadays. Every now and then they hold rallies, and oftentimes you'll see the Confederate flag or some version of it uh, at the rallies and other white supremacist groups in the United States that uh, trace their lineage in some way back to the Ku Klux Klan will fly that banner as well. And and the uh, tie to the founding of the Ku Klux Klan is really inseparable. And so where does this bring Austin Blair into the story? Well, it brings him into it because that, that uh, rally that I mentioned that was going on in Jackson, in a park that bears Austin Blair's name uh, several years ago, that is one of the things that I thought of when uh, putting down this episode here and and the one that preceded it, it being a part one and part two. And the reason for that is because Austin Blair 
was the governor of Michigan during the Civil War, and he was one of the founding fathers of the Republican Party, a party that was founded on uh, anti-slavery stance. So the Republican Party comes into existence in the 1850s, and one of the most important issues that they came into existence over was stopping slavery by ultimately preventing its expansion westward. So how do we get to a point where a man who has a park named in his honor, uh, a man who ultimately was one of the people in the United States that was instrumental in ending slavery, uh, thereby crushing the rebellion of the South, also um, in his role as the governor of Michigan during the Civil War, and Austin Blair, in that role, also had a very strong hand in forming Michigan regiments uh, that fought in the Civil War. How, how do we get to a point where that man, uh, his name being emblazoned on a park and in a memorial that I'm going to talk about in a moment, how does that man, uh, his name in a park, end up being, uh, well, a name on a park that... <laughs> People who are uh, very obviously uh, flying a flag that at one time stood for an absolutely undeniable tie to the South and its cause during the Civil War. Well, that's an interesting question. It's a complex one. And remembrance and historical memory is a complex issue, very much, because I have an idea and you have an idea and your neighbors have an idea and everybody you know and everybody you don't know have ideas on what happened in the past, opinions on figures, historical and current. And this is as true now as it was 150 years ago or 200 years ago. It's been true as long as the United States has been around and there's been a body politic. So... Austin Blair presents us an interesting look into what remembrance means and how it changes over time. And even though the Civil War happened 160 years ago, well, it is still something that comes up very frequently uh, in our politics to this day. Uh, so in surprising ways, actually. I, surprising in the sense that, well, let me share a quote with you from Ulysses S. Grant. And this is a quote that comes from Grant's memoirs. Uh, Grant, briefly, uh, was a uh, very important figure in American history. He was president of the United States. And before that, he was the uh, highest commanding officer in the Union Army during the uh, American Civil War. By the time the war ended, um, had started the Civil War out uh, in Illinois, had retired from the Army, actually. Grant's service in the Army went way back to the Mexican-American War. He was a West Point cadet. Uh, after West Point, he uh, served in the Army uh, as a quartermaster, actually, in the Mexican-American War. And then he was stationed in a few places around the United States, including Detroit, Michigan, actually, for about a year and a half in the 1840s. And had retired, though, from his uh, officer position by the time the Civil War broke out. And he was living in the northern corner of Illinois, um, managing the family business. Well, when the war broke out, the governor of Illinois had asked him to lead uh, Illinois guardsmen, National Guardsmen, down to the southern part of the state to secure the Mississippi River uh, from Missouri Confederates threatening to uh, cross into Illinois. And after succeeding in, a, uh, in that endeavor, leading the regiments of Illinois militia. Uh, he was then put in charge of a uh, Illinois Volunteer Infantry Regiment and eventually had his uh, commission, his officer commission, uh, reestablished. And at that point, uh, Grant is back in command of, of uh, regular Union forces, and he has some success in Tennessee and then eventually ends up in uh, Mississippi, in 1863, one of the most important campaigns of the war, actually, when Grant uh, leads the siege of Vicksburg, Mississippi, which had, was at a very strategic point along the Mississippi River. 
And the siege lasted for several weeks. Military historians have studied this for, uh, well, pretty much as long as since the event uh, happened because it was uh, really quite a remarkable military operation in terms of some of the developments in modern warfare that were employed there. Um, Now, after the siege of Vicksburg, Grant then eventually, uh, over the course of the uh, remaining year in 1863, has more success, and Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, eventually appoints him to command uh, troops in the Eastern Theater, and by the end of the Civil War, Grant has become the highest-ranking officer of the Union forces. Now, he eventually runs for president, too. Actually, he wins uh, re-election in the 1860, or wins election in the 1868 presidential election, uh, is re-elected in 1872. We're going to talk about the 1872 election in Austin and Blair here in a moment. And, uh, well, Grant's presidency isn't remembered <laughs> or remarked upon by historians with the degree of success his military career had been during the Civil War. His presidency was plagued with a lot of problems, um, scandals amongst his cabinet being very prominent. But Grant was a very popular figure um, in America by the time he uh, passed away. And he died fairly young, actually. He was in his early 60s. And right before he died, um, at the behest of his friend, Mark Twain, and uh, yes, that would be the Mark Twain of American author fame, uh, Samuel Langhorne Clemens, his pen name being Mark Twain, and Grant's son, uh, by his side, assisting him, Grant wrote down his memoirs. His memoirs are absolutely remarkable. I think most people who study history in the United States read at least an excerpt from them uh, at one point. Now, the the whole kit and caboodle of Grant's memoirs is long. Maybe that's why people usually read excerpts of it. Uh, the copy I'm holding right now in my hand, the Penguin Classics Edition, oh, that I've had for quite a few years, runs, uh, well, close to 700 pages with the um, uh, index at the uh, end of the book. So it's a it's a long read, but it's a very good read. And the reason for it is because it is a unique a window, a view into the mind of one of the most important Americans of the 19th century. And even if you don't really care at all about the Civil War and you find that period of American history boring or so far away that it just doesn't connect to you, Grant's memoirs actually provide an entirely unexpected, I think, for those that haven't had the pleasure of reading them, insight into just how Americans thought at the time, how they wrote, how they spoke to one another. Grant, obviously, writes a lot about the Civil War in his memoirs. After all, that was, you know, the thing that made him the very prominent figure in American history that he was. And Grant was obviously an intelligent man and and knew full well why Uh, He had become such a prominent American even before he became president. But nonetheless, Grant was born into a very uh, average family in the southern part of Ohio. And his childhood, I think, is, is, well, his writing on his childhood in the memoir, I think, is in some ways one of the most interesting parts about it. Why? Because it gives you, again, this incredible insight as to what it was like to live in America at that time period. And way back when, I mean, we're talking decades before the Civil War in terms of Grant's childhood. So, with that said, Grant's memoirs had something to say about the Civil War and how he thought Americans might remember it. And Grant writes, I would not have the anniversaries of our victories celebrated, no, those of our defeats made fast days and spent in humiliation and prayer, but I would like to see truthful history written. Such history will do full credit to the courage, endurance, and soldierly ability of the American citizen, no matter what section of the country he hailed from or in what ranks he fought. The justice of the cause which in the end prevailed will, I doubt not, come to be acknowledged by every citizen of the land in time. For the present, 
and so long as there are living witnesses of that great war of sections, there will be people who will not be consoled for the loss of a cause which they believed to be holy. As time passes, people, even of the South, will begin to wonder how it was possible that their ancestors ever fought for or justified institutions which acknowledged the right of property in man. And the right of property in man, this is me now uh, speaking and not reading Grant's writing, but that last phrase he uses, the right of property in man, that, of course, means slavery. And so what Grant, at least what I understand Grant to be writing in there, is a suggestion that one day in the future, Americans will remember the Civil War as the war that, in the end, the, well, the good guys won. The just cause prevailed, to use his words. And people who were on all sides of the fight, including the South, will uh, not really be able to believe their ancestors fought a war to, well, persist slavery, the ownership in man, as Grant put it. Now, Grant, in 1872, ran for re-election. And that passage that I just read um, from his memoirs, in some ways encapsulates how Americans, politicians in the North specifically, men like Grant, men in the Republican Party, men like Austin Blair, we're starting to vocalize some type of a formulation of how the American citizen would grapple with this terrible conflict that at that point was very recent memory, and most of the people who fought in the conflict and survived the fight were still living. And at the time, politicians in the North were really surprisingly divided over the extent at which people should hang on to what happened, hang on to it meaning as a justification for political policy. So Austin Blair enters into our picture very strongly here, and what happens to Blair is, uh, as was the uh, term length of time for a Michigan governor, two years. He served one two-year term and then another two-year term as Michigan governor. And so Grant, or excuse me, Austin Blair was governor from the beginning of 1861 to the beginning of 1865, having won the 1860 and 1862 uh, Michigan gubernatorial campaigns. After he leaves the uh, office of the governor, he does not leave politics, actually. Uh, he runs for Congress, and he serves in the U.S. House of Representatives for a uh, few terms in the late 1860s and early 1870s, uh, during Grant's, including during Grant's uh, first term in office. And then in 1872, Austin Blair joins a... Uh, Faction within the Republican Party that eventually splits into a political party of the lines of the Democrats, and they call themselves liberal Republicans. And Austin Blair may be kind of a surprising figure to look at as being a uh, member of the Liberal Party faction because liberal Republicans were, by and large, opposed to Grant. That was almost the uh, sole reason why this faction formed within the Republican Party. They, and by opposed to Grant, I, I, I have to be clear here, Grant as president, Grant's policies and the conduct of the Grant administration writ large, so not just Ulysses S. Grant uh, as the individual, because the uh, Grant administration really had two things going for it that would have opened it up to an incredible degree of criticism. One was the very nature of being the administration in office trying to uh, conduct Reconstruction. Reconstruction being the name of the federal government's policy towards the former Confederacy, the defeated South, 
years after the Civil War. And Reconstruction policies were not universally uh, popular in any part of the United States, including the North. At the very beginning of the end of the Civil War, there was more of a political consensus in the North that the South should be reconstructed in a manner that would bring it back into the Union. And after the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution is ratified in 1865, bring it back into the Union in the entire absence of slavery, because the 13th Amendment did away with slavery. Uh, Now, that, however, is sort of the, wow, it would have been easy if history worked out that way, mindset, but that mindset didn't exist uh, for very long at all. Things got quite complicated. Complicated, especially after Abraham Lincoln is assassinated in April of 1865, and then Andrew Johnson, who had been an anti-succession Democrat that Lincoln selected as his vice presidential running mate in the 1864 election, ends up becoming president. And Andrew Johnson is universally unpopular in Washington, D.C., and many other areas of the country in terms of politics. His own original party, the Democrats, viewed him as a traitor, And the Republicans viewed him as a uh, man unbefitting uh, the banner of a party that had been formed and eventually fought the Civil War over the issue of slavery. So, what happens? Well, Andrew Johnson is impeached, but survives his trial in the Senate. The last uh, part of his presidency is entirely ineffective because of that. And then the 1868 presidential election comes around, the Republicans nominate Grant, and he wins. That is the uh, time period that Austin Blair is serving in Congress. And it's a critical time period because during these years, Republican Party, that would be Blair and Grant's Republican Party, is starting to split into factions the radical Republicans, as they were called, were those that supported uh, sort of rigorous enforcement of Reconstruction policies towards the South, in up to and including efforts at extending civil rights to recently freed slaves. This turned out to be a very uh, contentious issue across the United States because While most Northerners, by the time the Civil War ended, agreed on ending slavery and ratifying the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, extending civil rights to African Americans, that brought up a whole different uh, level of racial integration, racial equality, and what we nowadays would call human rights. In, in a way that a country that had existed for generations uh, that was built upon a lot of social and cultural foundations that were being upended by this, one of the most important of which being white supremacy, uh, was a very uh, hard cultural change to make in the hearts and minds of people who did not inherently believe in racial equality. And in the year 2022, I would like to think that most Americans, if not all, believe in their hearts and minds in racial equality and in civil rights for all. But in the year 1868 or 1870 or 1872, such was not the case. And even within the Republican Party, there were divisions that therefore opened up over the extent of which Reconstruction should be implemented. And Grant's administration itself both helped and harmed the cause for civil rights and racial equality and in pushing the Republican Party more towards a party that was going to take a very strong stance on civil rights. Now, Grant himself supported many of the policies that the radical Republicans advocated for or at least supported once they were uh, implemented. And that included the 
passage of the Ku Klux Klan Acts in the 1870s, these were laws that were passed that were uh, try. they attempted to, and actually with a fairly great degree of success succeeded at it, of uh, putting down Klan violence in the South. Talk about the Ku Klux Klan towards the beginning of this episode and uh, how it ties into the the banner that we call the Confederate flag nowadays. But the Grant administration was also an administration that was riddled with corruption. Um, the scandals of the Grant administration and the individual cabinet members that were involved in them, uh, well, <laughs> those could make up an entire podcast or radio episode series, and we do not have the uh, scope of doing that during this episode, so I shall suffice to leave it at that for now that the Grant administration uh, had a series of political scandals that uh, developed during its first term in office. And so by 1872, you have a split in the Republican Party that's forming not only over the extent at which the uh, federal government should be enforcing reconstruction policies at the South, but also whether or not Grant should run for re-election in 1872. Now, he runs for re-election. He faces uh, a fusion of a wing of the Republican Party that breaks out that call themselves the liberal Republicans. And their candidate for president is Horace Greeley of New York. And uh, Governor Brown of Missouri is the vice presidential nomination. Talk about uh, a name that may not be so well known to history anymore. How many of you before listening to this program could rattle off Benjamin Gratz Brown as the governor of Missouri that was nominated by the Liberal Republican Party in their 1872 convention to be the vice presidential running mate on the ticket with Horace Greeley. Well, if you couldn't then, you can now, by golly, because you know that. And ultimately, the Liberal Republicans were after... uh, they were after the corruption of the Grant administration, and they also wanted to consider Reconstruction to be a done-and-dusted deal as soon as possible, and believed that the extension of freedom through the 13th Amendment and uh, ratification of the 14th and 15th Amendments, which uh, theoretically would have extended civil rights and voting rights to recently uh, freed slaves. That was sufficient in their minds that uh, Reconstruction had succeeded. And the liberal Republicans also had an economic agenda that they believed was more true to what the Republican Party had been formed on. And that is uh, an economic policy where government fosters economic growth but doesn't hamper it. And they believed that the uh, continued military occupation of the South did uh, exactly that. It hampered economic growth of a region of the country that had already been devastated through the uh, Civil War. So Austin Blair comes into our picture here by seeking the nomination to the Michigan Republican gubernatorial ticket in 1872 as a liberal Republican. He failed and ultimately did not therefore become elected to another term as governor, which he had tried to do. Now this gets us back then to, well, where we started, not only in this episode, but in the first part of this episode on Austin Blair. And that is the Austin Blair Memorial in remembrance of Austin Blair. As you walk up the steps of the state capitol building in Michigan, Uh, You cannot do so without passing the Governor Austin Blair Memorial. And as I stated at the beginning of the first, uh, well, part one of this episode, Blair is the only uh, person that has a statue uh, erected in his honor on the Michigan Capitol lawn. And that's really quite something because there are a lot of memorials on the Capitol lawn and uh, statues of figures but not of an actual individual uh, represented except for uh, Blair. And 
1895, the Michigan legislature appropriated $10,000 to have a statue honoring him be put on the Capitol grounds. Blair had died the previous year in 1894, and 1894-1895, this is 30 years now since the Civil War uh, has passed, and the decade of the 1890s is one in which throughout the United States you start to see a lot of memorials, a lot of statues being erected uh, in honor of people who fought in the Civil War including uh, politicians that led during the Civil War as well. And, and the decade of the 1890s, throughout the entire United States, North and South, is when you started to see uh, a lot of these statues go up, including statues in the South of former Confederates, Confederate generals. Uh, so statues of Robert E. Lee and uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest and many of the other uh, Confederate officers during the war, and, and I mentioned only those two names amongst many others I could have, partially because, of course, over the last decade we've seen in the United States an effort around the South to uh, do something with those statues, either take them down or put something up that tells the story of uh, why those statues are there. And... and I think it's worth noting that these types of remembrances typically do go up, not right after an event happens, but after people who lived through the event are no longer around. And in some ways, this is kind of counter to what Grant had suggested in his memoirs in a quote I read just a few moments ago, that at one point people wouldn't really remember much about the Civil War except for the fact that it was a a war that ultimately the site was on the right one. But the Michigan legislature did appropriate, therefore, $10,000 in 1895 to have the Austin Blair Memorial built. $10,000, a lot of money back then, well over $200,000 uh, in the equivalent of our uh, dollars spending power in the year 2022. So it was a, a lot of money. And Edward Clark Potter... Uh, of Enfield, Massachusetts, was the sculptor who uh, sculpted the bronze statue of Austin Blair. And it was cast in Philadelphia. A uh, pedestal was designed by a well-known architectural firm of Detroit, actually, Donaldson and Meyer. Uh, there are buildings in downtown Detroit that uh, are still there that were built by the Donaldson and Meyer firm. And uh, ultimately, the statue was put up by a uh, company out of Jackson, Michigan, and it has stood there now for many years, ever since. And I think it would be fitting, really, to conclude this episode of Land Stories with one of the quotes that is on the pedestal of the Austin Buller Memorial in front of the Michigan Capitol building. And 30 years after the Civil War ended, and over 30 years after he had uh, made a speech that this quote is drawn from, emblazoned on the pedestal of the memorial to Michigan's Civil War governor is written the following words, All the blood and carnage of this terrible war, all the heart-rending casualties of battle, and the sad bereavements occasioned by them have the same cause, slavery, the greatest, vilest criminal in the world. It must perish. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories. Keep connected with LCC Connect at lccconnect.org.
LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship since 2012. The Lansing Promise Scholarship offers graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. Since its inception, over 1,000 enrolled students have saved over $2 million, earning over 400 degrees and certificates, as well as 30,000 credits at LCC. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship, please visit lcc.edu hope. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hey, hey, hey. This is Lisa A., and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC where you will have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, what inspires them both at work and in their personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's go see who's today's star. I am excited to interview today's guest. He's someone that I don't know very well, but we work very close to one another. This star is a Grand Rapids native and moved to Lansing in 2010. He's the youngest of seven siblings who are spread out around the states. Growing up, he had dreams of being a professional musician. He then realized his real interest is with technology. He likes to tinker around with fixing technology, playing video games, and woodworking. He is also a student at LCC as well. He's already earned a general associate's with a certification in computer programming and will complete requirements in fall of 22 for another associate's and computer support technician. All right, everyone, are you ready to meet today's star? Today's star is Taylor Vaughn. Thank you, Taylor, for coming on Who's That Star today. Thank you very much for having me. Like I said in the introduction, I work real close to you, but don't really know you well. So I'm glad that we can spend some time today together. So let's get started. So the first question is, can you tell me about your work at LCC? What are your roles here? Well, I'm a testing specialist for testing services. Through my position, I process high school and college documents, test scores, GED, and more for placement levels. I also administer placement tests, course tests, certifications, and outside college course exams, too, and more. So do does your department create the scores that people 
get to get into classes. So like, for instance, oh, you know, we have reading level five and different reading levels. Is your department the one that creates that or is it the academic department? That's definitely on the academic side. We um, we just admit we adhere to the rules that they give us and guidelines for it. Right. So we can't blame you. No, you can't blame me. <laughs> we can't blame the <laughs> testing office I, to I, say, hey, um, why is levels this way? It comes from academic department. It does come from an academic side. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, people wonder, like, where where does the levels come from? Why do we have levels and things like that? So that's good. Not coming from the testing department, testing administers the placement tests and follows the regulations of the departments. That's much. correct. Yep. Well, how did you get started at LCC? Well, I actually started as a student employee um, in the social science and humanities department back in 2011. So you were a student working on your technology, wanting to go in, or were, did well, you know what no, you want to do? No, when you back get- then I actually was a business major. Oh. I, uh, I wanted to open a, kind of a jazz restaurant type deal. And uh, that was one of my first loves was music. Yeah. And still is one of my loves. But I wanted to open, yeah, like kind of like a jazz restaurant where you could come in, get some food, especially at night, have some live music and such. So I decided to be a business major. Yeah, we needed that. Yeah. Uh, what happened? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I started to realize I didn't really like business. <laughs> got you, got you. You like the music part of I it. I did enjoy but, the music yeah. part, yep. Okay. Well, have you ever left LCC or worked here continuously? Um, I did leave. So I, I started as the student employee and then I got a part-time position at uh, testing services and I worked there for uh, some years. And then I, I left because there wasn't a full-time position that I could get at the time. Mm-hmm. And I got kind of offered a position at a self-storage facility. Mm-hmm. So I went and I did that for a couple years and then a full-time position that I really was interested in came up and applied and came back. Yeah. So you really, you know, opportunity came around and made it so that you could come back and we're glad that you Definitely. came back. But that kind of leads me into my next question. Tell me about why you work at LCC. What is it that keeps you coming to work and so passionate about it? I I really enjoy working with the community. Um, it's it's very fulfilling, but we get to see all these new incoming students and we get to especially brand new out of high school students. Mm-hmm. You get to give them so much knowledge and just kind of help them navigate getting around. And it's also very satisfying to get to see these students graduate and get through their whole program. I I specifically remember a few students who I would see all the time in the testing center and I got to see them coming out of their nursing graduation. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, this is, it's always really nice just to get to see all of this type of stuff. It is. And you don't really understand like the impact because I know, and this one of the things that I like about working so closely to you all and advising with the testing center so near is that students are nervous about yeah. taking those placement tests. Yep. And, you know, having the staff that you all have in the testing center you guys are very calm, right? I mean, your peer calm, you are calm to the students because when we come in, you guys are giving the directions, you let them know what they need to do. But when they come in there, the the atmosphere is real welcoming. That's what we try to do. And, we, yeah, we definitely do. I, I'm very much a, you know, I just want you to relax Let's hang out. I, I I hardly ever raise my voice. And like even when we're at concerts, I'm not screaming. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I do. I think that's uh, one of the things that I noticed about your office is that it's a welcoming and warm environment and that um, there's a lot of resources in there as well to help students. You yeah. know, there's guides. Could you talk about some of the guides that you guys offer for people to practice. Oh yeah. Yep. We do have uh, sample packets and we also have a link to the AccuPlacer website, which is AccuPlacer is the placement test that we give for mm-hmm. reading, writing and math levels. So we do actually have printed off versions of the packets, but it also has a link to the online practice modules. Um, you can go online, actually kind of get more of a feel for the test because it looks similar to the actual placement test. Okay. So you can kind of get a feel for sure of like the writing portion. Um, that is the only one that, 
that you do not offer a online practice for, because that is a short essay that mm-hmm. somebody will type up. But the reading and math, both of those are multiple choice. So you can go online, practice, go through them. You can see what you're getting wrong. It'll explain why you're getting why you're getting it wrong. And it, I think it really does help with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the resources that I'm, I send students. I'm old, so you mm-hmm. all print off paper copies, which I like to have that. But there's also a link where you can go onto the AccuPlacer website and view and and take those practice tests. That's and that's what I like about getting where they show you where you make your mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's a selling point when I use AccuPlacer yeah. to talk about that with our testing is that students, hey, you can see where you're making a mistake. This is really good to help you. And so how many times can a person take placement tests? Generally, a person will have two attempts within a year. Mm-hmm. Um, if by chance they're getting close or they just weren't failing those two, we can always request a third attempt from the department. Okay. Um, but generally it's two attempts within, and I should actually say 365 days. Whenever the first day you test, that's your start of your year right there. Gotcha. Um, otherwise, generally students will only be in that one or two times, usually with us. So, yeah. So I think that get two times in a year to be able to take the placement test and it allows you get your levels, and that's really and and I think people don't really understand how important the placement office is because that's your access to getting into classes. Yeah, these are, and I, I usually try to explain. Don't think of these as getting your grade or anything. LCC just wants to make sure you're starting at something because something that's best for you. The placement test is just a skills test. They want to make sure you have the necessary skills to be successful in the courses. So that's why certain classes might have a reading level five, writing level six. And if you have that, that means you should have that necessary skill to be successful in it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the great things that I do like about uh, the placement test gives you an idea of where you're starting from, you know, and also tools to help you to practice. So we know what you do here at work. We know what the testing center purpose is what are um what is life like for you outside of work at Lansing Community College life is still pretty steady at home um me and my wife we recently actually just bought a house and so projects are coming in left and right and I'm realizing like oh man I need a new shelf for here which it's it's been fun, but at the same time, it's still a labor. You know, just go home and you got more stuff to do, and then there's your evening. It's you gone. got a honeydew list. Yes, that's right. Well, you know, that's the thing about when you buy a house. Anyway, I always tell people you'll be house broke, and 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 it's gonna keep you busy, right? Because you yeah. have so much stuff that you have to get adjusted to. So that is a that's something <laughs> I don't like moving. So, you know, well, yeah, that part, it it's nice that we have the space, but I'm slowly realizing I'm like, Oh, I don't have like an extra shelf for anything for, <laughs> right. for, you know, like putting up stuff in the basement. And now we also have a yard and we have a half acre lot. So okay. it's quite a bit to, to mow. Mow? <laughs> yeah. You got to ride it more? I do. Okay. Yeah. I was fortunate the previous owner let me buy it from her. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. You got, yeah, you hit a good, that's good right there. So you, you are busy at work and busy at home. But what really lights you up? Like, what makes you excited in your life? I I really, and I go back to it, I really love music. Um, I just love listening to different genres, different types. I I have a few guitars still that I I still play on. Okay. But um, looking to get a keyboard again one day just to kind of mess around a little bit more and, and get back into that and... Um, I told my wife also I was going to I was going to learn a woodwind. I was going like, I want to learn the saxophone or something like that. OK, yeah, so eventually I'm going to get one of those, too, and just start practicing on it. So you can play the piano. I, I initially started on piano as a kid. Oh, OK. And then you said drums. I have played drums for uh, my church okay. when I was younger, too. Well, how many instruments can you play? Um well, we can go with the. I, I also play bass. I, well, oh, yeah, I have the guitar. Played, but, yeah, okay. Yep. Um, but I used to do the upright bass for orchestra. I did that for about six years. Okay. Um, did some competitions with that. I used to do tuba for band. Wow. And I always wanted to play drum, like 
drumline drums too. Mm-hmm. Like so, I, every once in a while, I have some sticks at home. So every once in a while, I'm just banging on stuff until my wife realizes that I'm just making noise, <laughs> and then I stop. That's funny though. I know you talked about in the beginning too that you like woodworking. Uh, yeah. Yep. I I do a little bit of woodworking here and there. I've done a few projects for my wife. I made like a display stand for. Okay. And. Most recently, I made an outdoor planner for my mom for Mother's Day. And and yeah, I just my dad was a big tinkerer and carpenter and all that stuff. So I I love working around with everything, trying to figure stuff out. Yeah, I didn't. I like um, I was thinking about like woodworking. What what is what is he making with that? So you clarify that I was just kind of thinking selfishly like what? I could get you <laughs> to make me. Uh, you know? I, haven't, I haven't gotten too extravagant yet. I do want to make a, a table one day. I'm going to make some outdoor chairs. I didn't make a, a set of stairs for my pool recently. Oh, okay. Um, could, could you make like le- like alphabet letters, Greek letters? Like if I wanted to add my name, could you make Lisa? Could you do those? I probably could. It would take me a lot longer because I would need a few other things, I think. Yeah. Um, but I think I actually have something that I could use to cut out letters and stuff like that. Okay, okay. So I just... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll, I'll talk go, to you about I'm that. I'm going to go home and practice later now. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to you about that later. Okay, well, so you can, you like music, you love jazz, You're you can play several different instruments, you're interested in woodworking. Like, what don't you do? No. <laughs> uh, what I don't do? Uh... What I, I do a little bit of everything. Okay, yeah, it sounds like you have a a a, a wide variety of interests, and that's great. What's one thing that can instantly make your day better? For me, that's it's always going to be coffee. Coffee, yes. You are. Are you a coffee snob, or do you just drink coffee? Not. I'm not a full coffee snob. I do like certain things, certain ways. Um, if I am just drinking coffee, just a at a restaurant or something like that. My dad, who uh, he's been diabetic for years, so mm-hmm. whenever he's made coffee, he used sweet and low. And when he used to sneak me coffee back in the day, I had sweet and low. So I still drink it with sweet, sweet and low. low, yeah, even though <laughs> I I don't need it. Yeah, he just got he got you that way. Yep. I, hey, but saves on the calories too. So this question I'm going to ask you. I normally end with it, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you this one now. Uh, are you go green or go blue? I'm go blue uh, all the way. Okay. I'm, I'm a little lost for words because everybody <laughs> here has been <laughs> go green thus far. So, uh, what interests you in Michigan? Uh, well, it's, it's more family. I've had my old, my oldest brother. He actually is a, uh, a graduate of okay. U of M. So for the longest time, it's been go blue all the time. Yeah, yeah. you have someone that went there, you're paying tuition there, so you might as well root yep. for them. And my wife actually has her bachelor's from uh, U of M Flint. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Even though she's a go green. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, because that is, is that a house divided? Yes, we definitely are. Yes, uh, in any game where even if it's just me and her, we're we're sitting there, you know, screaming at each other. As soon, <laughs> soon as state makes a good play, she's like, "Whoa!" Just yelling, and we're even by ourselves, just going crazy. So yeah, so that would be fun. I guess I will have to go to make sure I can uh, support your wife and help her. Oh, she would accept it. For, she would. She would be super excited. <laughs> go green for sure. All right, I want to ask you. Um, who do you admire most in the world? Uh, the person I would admire most is my dad. He is just a great guy. I talk to him probably twice every day. It's not it's not long. I just call to check in with him and just see how he's doing. He's older um, and he's just all around just a nice, sweet guy. Growing up, I never felt like I... I was, you know, afraid of my dad in any mm-hmm. way. I could talk to him about anything. There was actually a time where I was, I think I was 18 or 19. I had a credit card, you know, being one of my first ones mm-hmm. and kind of ran it up a little bit. He gave me the money for it. I lost that money. 
about two hours later. What do you mean you lost it? Like I had to go. I was going to GRCC at the time and I went to I was going to GRCC. I went to class. I was actually going to a weight training class Mm -hmm. and I had my money in my in my shoes because I was like, I didn't want to leave it in my car and somebody possibly break in. Somebody got in my locker and got my money. Oh, and I, I had to go and tell him that I lost that money. And, you know, he, he just he just looked and he was like, well, you learned a mis- you learned from your mistake, didn't you? And I was like, I sure did. And never he's he's a calm guy, doesn't really raise his voice mm-hmm. either. Um, he's old school with a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. He's he's actually like a youngest of 13 type. Wow. And okay. he's currently what? What year is this? He's. 83. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he has some experience and patience. You yes. know what I'm saying? I think growing up with a large family like that. Yeah. And he was a baby. Yeah. You had everybody yeah. telling you what to do. You oh, know? yeah. You know, so, I mean, but that's a good thing, though, that because I know I can't imagine going to my mom or daddy and to asking them after I already done asked them for the money, then I done lost it. Yeah. And I had to go back. I, I, I was nervous the whole time. <laughs> I, I was, was, you know, hey, halfway look, I, shaking. I know you were, but you know, pleasant surprise. And that always just shows you, you can go talk to your parents, you know? Yeah. Then, I, I do feel like I can talk to them about, about anything. Not, yeah. That's a good thing. Well, Taylor, we're almost done with the interview, but I wanted to ask you like, what are some of your future? What's some future plans you have for yourself? Some goals that you're looking to accomplish or complete? Well, currently, uh, my main goal is finishing up my associate's degree here. In the yes, fall. yes, that's right. I'm, I'm super excited. Even though I did get my, I, I was taking classes. I was kind of just almost self-advising, just kind of going through it. Cause uh, I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just looking, I was like, eh, let's see what I can start taking and get right. back into it. And I realized I was close to getting my programming cer- certificate and close to getting a general associates. So I, I started taking a few classes here and there along with my actual associates degree. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to get this finished up here. It's been about four years almost since mm-hmm. I work full time. Mm-hmm. And so getting done with that, I'll probably do some certifications here. Um, eventually, I mean, hopefully I can end up with like PC techs here on campus. I really I really just enjoy the atmosphere at LCC yeah. and I would love to stay here. Yeah, it is a great place. And I definitely could see you going around assisting people like me who have no clue. <laughs> uh, shout out to our PC techs because oh, yeah, they help me a lot. They are wonderful. But uh, I definitely um, look forward to you earning this second degree. I think it's um, great. I think you utilize working here and also going to school, leveraging that in a great way so oh, that yeah. you can get your education and be able to move on to different things. And I just want to thank you, Taylor, for taking time today to come on Who's That Star. Thank you very much for having me. I really had a good time. I did as well. You've been listening to Who's That Star. I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out who's that star. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Lansing Community College students now have the option to go beyond an associate degree through LCC's University Center. The University Center is a partnership between LCC and five four-year universities. Located on LCC's downtown campus, these universities offer junior and senior level courses, leading to more than 30 bachelor's degrees, several post-baccalaureate certificates, and options to obtain a master's degree. Current and former LCC students can take advantage of the convenient location at the corner of Capitol Avenue and Shiawassee Street on LCC's downtown campus. Find out more about the University Center, visit lcc.edu.
Hey, parents, say hello to Instant Style with Fashion On. Just spray and look cool in an instant. What about my bifocals? Hey, I can't see. But your kids can see you, and trust me, they see fashion. Fashion On is not available in stores because it doesn't exist. But that's okay. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Because kids in foster care don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council.